that time of the week again. It's flat out RC time. My name is Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. And we are talking all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. Well, we are back. Uh, big episode last week with the uh, the guys from the Festival Aero, Aero Modeling, but another good one coming up because we have a special guest from South Australia. Uh, Brett Oakley is his name. Met him at the MAAA AGM when I was there just uh, as part of that little uh, get-together and had a good chat with him and has an interesting story to tell, so I said, come on to the podcast. So anyway, so Brett's going to join us very shortly. But before we get to Brett, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Could say I'm cruising at the moment. Uh, I haven't been flying. I did get on the simulator the other day by myself to have a bit of a bit of a practice uh, to keep the uh, the skills up. I do enjoy getting on the simulator. I I must say, uh, and I for me it helps me greatly. I always uh, feel as if I if I do a lot of simulator practice, I'm better when I go out and fly. But uh, not that I'm planning on flying anytime soon because we are in the midst of winter and the flying days are sort of few and far between often where I live. And But I know the coming weekend down here in uh, in Melbourne is looking okay. But uh, generally in winter, I go skiing a fair bit. Uh, fortunate enough to, to do that. So I was just thinking about the role of fitness in aero modeling. Now, it's funny how in a lot of countries, not just in Australia, aero modeling is classified as a sport. And often we aero modelers will laugh at that. And I got to thinking, what role does fitness play? And I always rib my mates and they say that they don't do any exercise and that kind of thing. I'm pretty active. For my age, I think I'm probably more active than most, uh, maybe because I can never sit still. But uh, you know, I've been going to the gym for a long time. If you see me in person, you probably can't recognize that I've been going to the gym for a long time, but I have been going to the gym and I play a lot of table tennis and people say to me, table tennis is not a sport. So, um, and plus a number of other activities, you know, bike riding, things like that. So um, what role does fitness play in aero modeling? Now, and I reckon it plays a reasonable part Uh for any of you who've spent a long time in the shed working on model aeroplanes, standing up, bending over, crouching down to look in your plane, all those kind of things, I don't know about you, but maybe I'm extremely unfit or it's just a strenuous pastime of working on model aeroplanes. I find that uh, it does take a toll on my body. Um, you know, get sore legs, get a sore back. I suppose it depends on your shop set out. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty tight for space, so there's a lot of navigating around things, which probably doesn't help. But um, you know, I think that involves a bit of physical activity. Then when we're down at the field, I think that, uh, yeah, we move things around, a lot of standing up, of course, uh, during the day. But I've always found that fitness, fitness has a lot of you know, benefits that we don't often see. So, um, you know, that, that ability to... Um, get our heart rate down, you know, after moving around, maybe physical activity so that we're calm, that when we're flying, you don't want to have an elevated heartbeat and, you know, your body not performing its optimum to react to situations that are happening in, in the sky. Uh, I suppose the, our mental condition also helps a lot. And if you're feeling fit, we often know that 
your mental condition is, is you know, quite clear that you can make good decisions. Um, the, you know, are we doing, are we going to have to run a race? No, but I have run a race before at a flying field over in China. Martin Brandmuller and I, the, uh, the, the great Austrian aerobatic pilot, we had a running race and, uh, I beat him and he's a lot younger than me and I beat him and he, and he said, Ooh, well, let's do that again. I had another running race, beat him again. And his famous line was, I could, I, I didn't believe the fat people could run so fast. Uh, but I beat him again. Um, but yeah, so we're not having running races at the field, but I think that staying fit and healthy um, can help us perform at our optimum, no matter what activity we are doing. So I'm a big supporter of and promoter of people getting out there and staying fit, uh, you know, and um, you know, being active. And aero modeling, yes, I don't think Olympic athletes are training for their chosen sport by building model aeroplanes, but as we age and our bodies start to wear out, as mine is starting to wear out, uh, maintaining some level of fitness can help us in, in all of our activities, whether it be building a model or out the flying field, moving moving models around and lifting them out of our cars and that kind of thing. So stay fit, everyone, and you'll probably be a better aero modeler. My favourite time of the podcast because I don't need to talk as much. It is interview time uh we have a special guest brett oakley brett uh comes from south australia got into the hobby very early um i met him at the mAAA agm where i was invited to just uh present some stuff around their member server that i helped them with and i wasn't there for very long but i had enough time to um have a chat with brett he was one of the first guys i met there um and had a good chat and found out about him a little bit and then went gee that's a that's a good little story uh You'll hear about how he started in the hobby, no doubt, but also in what he flies. But uh, he's also involved with Massa, the MAAA Association in South Australia, down here in Australia. And he's got some good stories to tell about come try days and um, how how he put one on or the club that he's a member of put one on and, and how they promoted it, et cetera. So stay tuned for that. But uh, a great guy, really passionate about the hobby. And um, yeah, it was a good chat. Really enjoyed it. So here's my chat with the one and only Brett Oakley. We're jetting off to South Australia this week on the podcast because Brett Oakley is joining me. Brett, thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Well, you and I met at the MAAA AGM uh, annual general meeting and uh, had a bit of a chat and uh, got on well, one of the nice guys there. So uh, we'll talk a bit about your involvement at that association level a bit later, but where did your journey in aero modeling begin? Oh, just like everybody else, I've got my dad to blame. Um, we we worked on vineyards, and uh, dad decided it would be a good idea to chase the birds away with a model aeroplane. So he did the right thing, went down to the local club, learnt to fly, and uh, they laughed at him and said, yes, it might work, but you know, you won't be able to just chase birds with a plane. You know, you'll, you'll get hooked. And he said, no, no, this is for work. And uh, that was in 1991. And here we are now. We're still flying. <laughs> um, so he, he learned to fly. Uh, we went away to, I think it was Lamaru. Oh, and yeah, uh, yeah. Camp, camping for the weekend, just in caravans and tents and whatnot. He was flying around and uh, 
made the silly mistake of saying to me, would you like a go? Oh, no. Well, I think I knocked five chairs over trying to get to him. And uh, that's it. Grabbed the transmitter. They hooked me up on a body box and uh, away I went. I had oh, maybe one or two flights and uh, one of our mates was sitting back in a chair behind us because we were basically sitting on the flight line. And uh, he said, oh, you should have him on landings. Uh, sorry, on takeoffs. Because back then we learnt takeoffs before landings for some reason. And uh, Dad jokingly held the transmitter out and he said, oh, if you want to do it, away you go. And back at this stage, um, the Wayne Miller, who taught me to fly, had his own paid flying school. And uh, so he said, right, here we go. This is what you got to do. And away I went. And back then we used to go fishing a fair bit and uh, Wayne loved fishing. So we, we worked a deal that we took Wayne fishing and any fish that I caught, he kept. <laughs> and uh, I paid my way through his little flight school. With fish. And uh, <laughs> so I, I was, well, under his tuition for, I think it was three to four weeks and uh, got my, what was the black badge back then before we had bronze wings. Um, the, the black badge was just your name tag with with uh, your name printed in black on a Dymo label. And uh, then, then red badge was the equivalent these days of gold wings. Um, so, yeah, I got my, my badge within sort of three or four weeks and then progressed from there, um, mainly flying dad's, dad's models because dad had models and I didn't. Um, this was in 1992. I was... 12 years old when I joined and uh yeah so progressed from there so so you were 12 what was the model again what were you flying uh it was a thunder tiger skylark with a was a sato 50 gold knight four stroke oh with a four stroke yeah, brilliant little mate gee yeah so, what, give us an era what, what year was this when you were 12 92 92 okay so you're a bit you're yeah. a little bit younger than me now i've got a couple of years off you yeah just a few not but not too well you probably got about six or seven or something um well, i'm 42 uh, now so there oh, you well, go. There you go six years there's a six years gap between you and i uh okay so well you mentioned that your dad got into flying to scare the birds off the of the vineyard did yep. that ever actually work absolutely it did it is the only thing still to this day short of sorry for those who might be offended destroying them yeah it's the only thing short of that that actually works on starlings um the the local flocks you just you'll never get rid of them um we tried the the gas guns and starlings are a very smart bird they'll actually come and sit on the gas gun they'll hear it click and let the gas in they'll fly away the gun will go bang and then they come back and sit on it again so they learn pretty quick what's going on. And, you know, we, we tried kites that looked like eagles. And that I think that's what gave Dad the idea of, all right, well, perhaps we can chase the birds. And and it's a bit like um, mustering cattle. You you sort of fly around them, you fly in circles, and they'll go left, they'll go right, they'll go, and eventually they'll make up their mind which way they want to go. And you just let them head off and you just slowly sort of follow them away. And it's a brilliant little... Do they, do they end up staying away? Uh, any of the, the flocks that come in sort of for the season, yeah, you chase them away once, maybe twice, and that's it. Like you got a big, I mean, we used a, a 60 size, you know, two stroke model, 
just a, a trainer-type model, really. It doesn't have to go real fast. just needs to be visible because you've got a – I mean, we've got a 60-acre property and, and yeah, you've got to fly right to the back of the properties. And when you're right at the back of the property, even a 60-size model gets pretty small. Yeah, that's true. Now, the um, because the reason why I asked that is that I was I actually got a phone call from a friend of mine a while ago saying, Hey, I, I saw on Facebook you fly model planes. Do you want to come and try to scare off the birds off our vineyard? And I'm like, yeah. I think a drone would be all right. I could do it with a drone, probably better than the you know, I said, You've got to need an area to take off and land and, and that kind yeah, of the, thing. Yeah, the, the problem with the drone is you can sort of only look in front of you. Yeah. And if you're flying, you know, if you're flying line of sight, yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't take long for a drone to disappear. That's true. That's true. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. You've answered a question. That's surprising. So do you still actually, because you're still on Vineyard now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We've still got Vineyards. Um, uh, we we do still fly them occasionally, but we, we have to so that you can claim a few bits and pieces on tax. Not supposed to say um, that out loud, Brett. That's, that's just between you and me. Oh yeah, of course. No one listens. To this, so yeah. yeah, it's just between us. Well, you know, but no, we do we do do it still. So, but yeah, not not as often as I'd like to. Well, the um, okay. So, do you have your own strip, or where do you take off? Uh we've got a little small section of paddock, I suppose you'd call it, with with nothing on it. That uh, yeah, come vintage time, we cut the grass down nice and low, and yeah. You know, have some nice big wheels on planes and and whatnot. Ah, see, that'd but be cool. it's not a strip as such. But it depends what you what you want to fly. I'd have a purpose built plane for that with like bush wheels, and um, it'd be a it'd be a, a gasser or something like that with two tanks in it, so I could fly for like half an hour put- putting around. <laughs> and you know, the missus would say, "What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to work." And then you yeah, she hears this model flying around. She goes, "That wasn't work." You go, "Nah, he isn't just scaring the birds away." Uh, we, we've got the ultimate model for that. We've got a, um, it's the old ultra stick light, the 120 yeah, size. Yeah. With a DLE 55 in it. Yep. And we had to make a massive, big, long, dangly undercarriage so that you could clear a 23 inch prop. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you, you've got all the crow mixing and all of that, but you don't need it because if a 23 inch prop just ticking over is a massive break. Yeah. But yeah, it's the most fun. Model. I was going to say, it is. You'd base it yeah. on a stick or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know what the final question is going to be, so I'll get this out of the way. It's the best model of that I have flown. I haven't owned it. Um, it's my dad's model, but that is the best model I've flown, <laughs> this ultra stick. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I had a hanging iron 30cc stick, ultra stick. I've got one of them on the building board. Have you? Yeah, and you know what? I, I sold it, and... Um, but I love the scheme on it and I love mm-hmm. the look of it for some reason. I love the look of it. And I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't have really sold it. But I, I know where it's gone and it's gone to a good place. Yeah. So that, that's okay. I don't mind. But um, yeah, I've, got, I've got one of them on the building board that I'm also going to put a 50 in. Yeah, yeah. And I've also bought the 10cc one now and I'm going to put a little DLE 20 in that. Yeah. yeah. That's good. They're, they're such a great little all-round model. Yeah, they are. They are. You know, okay, they're not the prettiest model, even though I do – find something attractive about them, especially that, mm-hmm. that uh, hanging on 30cc one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, 
uh, how many people have flown a stick really when you think about it. I'll tell you what, one of the first, actually the first real model that I flew was a was a one metre wingspan stick that was a, a scratch build by um, a gentleman that used to be a member of my club. Actually, I, I was a friend of a friend of mine, the guy that taught me how to fly. Well, I sort of knew how to fly. It was the first flight I took off and landed. Um, thanks to plenty of simulator practice. But um, I ended up buying that plane. Actually, my brother's got it and I actually do want to buy it off him because it's sitting there. I sold to him for like no, no point just having it sitting there. Is I it? sold to him for like a hundred bucks. So I'll say here, I'll give you a hundred bucks and buy the plane back. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it just, and it flies beautifully. It's one meter wingspan thing. It'll penetrate through the wind and put a three S light bow on it. It's electric. Oh, it's just great. Yeah. I like that. Hey, you got me G'd up. I'm going to go and do that now. <laughs> um, okay. So then where did you progress after that? So you, you know, you're, you're scaring the birds away. You're flying that trainery kind of plane. Then what's the next step after that? Oh, the next step from that, my first model that I bought, we had a little swap meet at my local club, and uh, I come across your favourite model, a little Piper Cub. <laughs> Not a Piper Cub. And it it was <laughs> the most horrible little cub. It was a 40 size. It had a little OS 20, uh, sorry, OS 40 yeah. two-stroke, and it was 80 bucks. And I said to Dad, I want it. And he looked at it and he said, no, you got to be kidding. And anyway, I... All day looked at this plane and eventually, no, that's it. I had to have it. So I bought it and uh, it lasted. Well, we took it to another field that we fly out up out in the country. And uh, I came into land and got about six foot off the deck and just tip stalled it. And the thing just exploded when it yeah. hit the ground. And I was devastated. I may have even shed a tear or two. And so we, we pulled all the gear out of it and, and gave it a, a Viking funeral that night. But, uh, yeah, so from there, I, I went on to Dad's uh, Aeroflight Gemini. Oh, Mark yeah. Ua. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. I practiced on that for – I actually painted it up to match one of my little Lego models that I had. Yeah. <laughs> little sort of red, black, and white scheme. Looked pretty cool. But I pro- progressed through with that and got my my red badge, which you know, is now the gold wings. And that would have been – probably about 94. Um, from there, I've, I've mainly flown a lot of dad's models, really. I've, I've had a lot of my own planes. Um, I had a little, I can't remember the brand of it, was a little 40-size Raven. That was a brilliant little plane. Um, yeah, had a couple of little pattern ship type things, sort of old school pattern ships. Um, did a bit of aerobatics and and all of that sort of thing. And uh, eventually, unlike most people, not all people, when I hit the 17, 18 mark, yes, I found cars and yes, I found girls, but I found a car that I could fit my planes in to take to the club. Oh. And the girl I found was the uh, the president's daughter. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there was no need to leave the club. So, so you didn't have that typical hiatus, you know, the wine, women, and song, as I call it. You didn't have that hiatus. No, no I, I stuck with it, and um, the, the, well, the cars. I've had a number of them over the years, and uh, the relationship with with the president's daughter didn't last. We went for a couple of years, but and uh, anyway, eventually found myself another girlfriend. But she learnt real quick that flying come first. And uh, they, their family was big into water skiing. 
So from there, I thought, well, if I'm going to be on the river, I might as well have a, float, a plain little float. <laughs> so uh, I mean, we, me and Dad had always sort of had a float plane or two here and there. And we used to go away on sort of boys' weekends with about 10 blokes from the club. We'd hire a houseboat and go float flying. So, uh, yeah, I made sure I always had a float plane. So we'd go away water skiing. And then when the water was nice, I'd still be flying off the water. Yeah, good plan. And, uh, yeah, that that relationship lasted quite some time and eventually came to an end. And I found found myself back with the president's daughter again. <laughs> now, um, and, the, and you've married the president's daughter, haven't you? We, we aren't married now yet with two kids. And but and the president's daughter happens to be Neil Tank's daughter, the previous president of the MAAA. Yep, that's correct. And back back then, uh, she she joined in about ninety nine, I think it was, and was a she flew herself for about three years, I think it was, got her wings and all of that. And uh, yeah, so flying was sort of in the family. Like my kids have got no choice now. Yeah. Now, are you kids flying? Uh, my son is seven. He is a member. He is he's flying around. He's got an apprentice and a little oh, I don't know the breed of it, Park Zone or one of those sort of brands, E Flight or something like that, a, a cub with all the safe technology on it. And with all the safe stuff on, he can he can fly the cub himself and fly it around and even land it. But uh, I've I think within, if I took him down for two weekends, he would probably be solo. But being seven, he doesn't have that sense of, I guess, responsibility. So I don't want to give him his wings and just say, off you go. Well, that sense of responsibility won't occur till he's about 55. So, <laughs> yeah. Based but, on uh, the no, average he, aero modeler. <laughs> he, he's certainly into it. And, and like your son loves the simulator and, <laughs> and the hovering and the, yeah, Do all the yeah. And stuff. My son who grabs a transmitter and goes straight into flying aerobatics, but can't take off or land the plane. Yeah, he goes, why, "Why do you need to know how to do that?" <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, in real life, Charlie, you got to get the plane off the ground. You got to get it back on the ground so you can take it home on the simulator. Yeah, that, that's press, the problem. Press the space bar and you're off again. Yeah, all, all planes fly once at least. Yeah, it's, it's true. The, the aim is to make it so that it flies more than once. Do you know what? You've got me thinking now. You, you were talking about going out water skiing and ha having a plane, and and I've got this house up in the country, and I've bought this jet ski, and I'm near Lake Eildon over here. Right? And in summertime, I'm going to go down with the jet ski to Lake Eildon, and I just thought I, I need a float plane because I'm going to take a float plane as well. If something happens to the float Absolutely. plane, get on the jet ski, go and pick it up. And I thought oh, I need a float plane. Then I realised I got a float plane. I got this like FMS Cub, which came with floats. I just need to pull yeah, the undercarriage perfect. off and put the floats on. Bingo, bango. I'm off float flying off Lake Eildon. Well, that's not that Swiss cub, is it? No, no. I, I got rid of that one or I gave that to someone. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, but I, I've, I've got, got another. Bit me. I've got, yeah, no, no. I've got the bigger one. Ah, the bigger one. And the yep. bigger one is actually better than that one. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, the little, the red one um was really scale-like, but um I didn't, yeah, I didn't. Love the way that it flew compared to the bigger one, but actually, I I, we, I, I reviewed it for the Flat Out RC magazine, but then um, I um, 
I can't remember what I did with it. I think I sold it or I gave it to someone. Yeah. But anyway, but I've got the bigger one, and that flies really well. That's great flying plane. That'd be perfect. Well, it? It's one of those really predictable kind of planes. You know, yeah, that's nice floaty, foamy kind of thing. So maybe I need to get that. That's a, oh, See, I should stop doing these podcasts. It gives me too many ideas and <laughs> waste more of my time on toys. Uh, okay, so let's fast forward a bit then. You're now married, kids, and all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. What does your hanger look like now? Besides a mess. I've got <laughs> – besides a mess, yeah, it is an absolute mess. Um, flying, I've got the Hobby King Tundra. Uh, got a couple of gliders. Uh, um, they're about a three meter. Was it ASW twenty six? I think it is that we aero tow. We've got a four meter fly fly DG eight oh eight, which is an absolute piece of crap. Oh, is it really? It is. I I heard you talk with Alexis Scott, and yeah. uh, he said that he had a fly fly one, and there was you know. One in three were good, and I certainly didn't get one of the good ones. Oh, really? Because I, I I know someone that's got one that's trying to sell me one. Like, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. I had a mate that had one, and, and his flew all right, but mine just, yeah, just it might just be me. I, I might like it to be better than what it is, but, but uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a composite ARF Extra 330L, the two-meter one. Cool. Um, sitting there that I haven't flown in years. Get it out. <laughs> it's a nice plane. Yeah, I just I, I I've been through everything. I've I've done you know the the sort of sports models. I've done helicopters. Um, I got into helicopters and ended up winning the nationals in two thousand and five. Oh, cool. <laughs> we we had the the nationals at my home club and. Everyone said, oh, you're going to go in it, you're going to go in it. And I'd only just really learned to fly. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm not, no, nah, no. Nah. And eventually they said, go on. So, so I did. And they couldn't get enough competitors for all the advanced and 3D classes. So they put everyone into novice. And uh, so the, the only heli instructor we had in the state at the time gave me my bronze wings at the practice day on Friday. And uh, I turned around and won the event on Sunday, which was pretty cool. <laughs> That's a good, good move. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I've gone through the helis. We've done slope soaring thermal, discus launch. We've done I, – I, I bought this Compaf Extra to, to get into iMac, and I went to one of their events, and this is going back you know, probably 10 years ago or more. And at the time – I got there and everyone was like, oh, you've got to have a compass. Like, oh, yeah, I've got it. It's got to have a DA in it. Like, oh, yeah, I've got a DA. And then, oh, it's got to have power boxes. Yeah, and I started going, yeah, all right. And it sort of looked a bit too clicky for my liking. Really? And, uh, I mean, I, I sort of, I watched them fly and, you know, it was good. I went back to my club and I, I sort of practised some of that, which, like you always say, it, it – uh, it, it tunes your skills. But, yeah, I, I just couldn't get into the competition side of it. Well, it's, one of those, it's, it's funny. I've been to a number of IMAC comps, never competed, and I think there have been instances of this, like, clicky group within some of these uh, competitive groups. But yep. from what I've seen, say, what's happening in Victoria, where I am, 
the IMAX scene is pumping at the moment and a good bunch of people. And you know what it is? is they're all relatively new, so they're really yeah. welcoming. If anybody wants to come down and fly with them, it's like, come on, we'll teach you, we'll tell you what to do, come with us, you know, we'll look after you kind of thing. And because and, they've yeah. really been trying to grow it. And they've got it to them. Like, we literally went from having three people in the state that were flying IMAX to something like 14, 15 kind of people. And, and a lot of a younger group of guys as well, like some, some younger sort of kids kind of thing uh, got into it now and they're all saying the same thing they just love turning up and mixing with the people so it's it's yeah. funny it, it's really interesting how the attitudes of the people that get involved can really impact um the participation in the kind of way but fortunately here in in victoria it's really had a resurgence thanks to some some really good good effort and good blood that's uh, roaming around amongst that group. So, um, yeah. yeah pity, I think they are trying to get it going here in South Australia again, but I don't know how they're going. But It's one of those things, yeah. and we'll, we'll talk a bit about that after because I want to get on to one of these ideas that you have done at your local club. Um, so in question for you, though, uh, that just came to mind is you didn't have that break in flying like many people do. Uh, no. How have you been able to stay motivated for such a long period of time? I guess I chopped and changed a fair bit going from sports models and helicopters. I think helicopters really kept me interested. I mean, back, geez, what would it be, 20 years ago, I, I, I guess I was starting to lose interest a little bit and I'd never really been interested in helicopters. And Dad bought one and uh, he bought a simulator, which was a fairly basic simulator back then. and. I thought, you know what, well, I'll have a go on this simulator thing and see what it's all about. And I had a go and it just kept crashing. But before I knew it, whenever I had five minutes to spend, I was on the simulator. And, yeah, I found myself going to mum and dad's place on a weekend just so I could use dad's simulator. And I, I, all of a sudden I realised, okay, I, I don't mind flying helicopters. I better buy one. So I went out and bought myself a, a crap to 30 just with the little OS 37 and yeah, taught myself, well, because I'd simulator, 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 taught myself to fly in oh, a couple of weeks, I suppose. Oh, no, Brett, you can't do that. Some of the oldies tell me the simulator is not like the real thing, but you're telling me that you actually learned how to fly a helicopter <laughs> on a simulator then was able to fly a helicopter. I oh, know the oldies don't like them, but oh. and there, there are things about mainly fixed wing that, that aren't the same, but like you keep saying, it's the, the muscle memory and you're getting your brain to your fingers to coordinate them. And with with a heli, I mean, you're not boring around the sky. Well, when you're learning, you're not boring around the sky and you're just in front of yourself. So the, the physics of it are still the same. And I mean, I, I taught myself sort of tail in hover, nose in hover, side on hover on the simulator before I even started my heli up. Do you know, you know what was interesting? Literally last night I got on the sim with some sim buddies, right? And I started to get bored on the sim after half an hour flying the plane around. Like mm -hmm. that, just like, it's almost like I'm on an autopilot sometimes, which I really should focus more. But um, I went and put a heli on and I, I've flown helis a little bit over, over the years. And you don't, it's like riding a bike. You don't lose the ability to fly the thing, right? That, that I found that hovering's second nature. 
um, yep. that I'm putting into a bit of a nose in hover and um, could do it. And I didn't even have to think. My body just did it. And then I was That's doing right. some inverted flight. And I was saying to the guys, we, you know, we have a like a conference call going at the same time, and I was saying, oh, I've got to really think when you fly these helis. And like I was in inverted, but and then going, okay, I've got to reverse my controls in a kind of way. Um, but it doesn't leave you, which is that whole thing about muscle memory, um, you know, that that really comes into play when when we fly. And uh, I suppose the, the advantage of the sim is that if you crash it, you, you just press a space bar and off you go again. There's no expense. That's right. Um, you know, with in real life, actually, we were talking online actually about helis, and and I was with uh, one of my, my, my sim buddies, Brad Worm, who's been on a lot of the uh, Flat Out RC YouTube. Uh, Wormy, you know, the one word answers. Yes, he can actually say more <laughs> than just yes and one word answers. But anyway, um, and he said, oh, I said, and he got his a heli up, and and he's never flown a heli, I think, in real life, but model heli that is, and he um, he says, oh, I might get one. I've been offered one. Um, and he, he says, oh, I reckon I'll be able to do it. I said, Wormy, the only thing is in real life is if you go and stack that 550 size heli, you've probably done 150 bucks to 200 bucks worth of um, uh, main blades if you yeah. if you prang it. I said, it's an expensive exercise nowadays to go and fly helis, you know, kind of things. You know, get really, I said, go and buy one of those little blade helis, little plasticky ones. And yeah. I love them. I had a blade 130X and I managed to get another one that a guy gave me after I wore out the first one. And oh, it's such a good heli and so much fun. Yeah, I've, I've had all the little helis. I've had bigger helis. I've had – I ne- never got into 3D. Um, That's a yeah. different kettle of fish, isn't My it? brain doesn't work quick enough. Yeah. Uh, I, but, I, yeah, helis probably kept me interested for a long time. And I went away from helis and back to fixed wing. I, I, I kept flying fixed wing while I was – flying helis but the, the focus back then was on the helis and then you know the focus shifted back to planes and i've had all sorts of different things here and there and it really it was only maybe six months ago i looked and i thought i love all facets of flying absolutely love it but i was thinking about what i get the most enjoyment out of and it would bore you to tears but my favourite thing and what I enjoy the most is doing touch and goes. Trying to that makes a lot of sense. Get though. a smooth, get a smooth touch and go. I mean, muck around and do one wheelers, or if you've got a trike, you know, try and land and not let the nose wheel touch before you go again. And making it, I guess, scale and sort, but really smooth and and flowing and um, yeah, my. my other club that I fly at, um, it's a big open paddock in, in the middle of nowhere out in the country. And on a still night, you just do procedure turns or figure eight touch and goes, just one after the other and burn through litres of fuel and yeah, until you can't see the model anymore. So your, uh, your landings are pretty good then? Oh, I don't like to toot my own horn, but yeah, I can land a model. <laughs> I, I can land a model better than I can do most things with it, put it that way. Well, do you know what? It makes a lot of sense though. Sometimes I've said to myself, just go and do a whole flight of touch and goes because mm. basically you're doing landing approaches and landing approaches it, is one of the one of the, the most valuable skills that you can ever have. It, it, it's it is the, the only most mandatory valuable. part of the flight. It, it is. It's like, and, and that's the bit where a lot of people muck up 
All right, even some of these guys that are good aerobatic pilots and stuff like that got a lot of control. They'll muck up the the approach. And so when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. It's just that sometimes we just, I don't know, get bored of it or I don't know what. But I, I see some people, people with cubs, people with cubs love to come in slow and, you know, take off. I, I must say, if you're flying with somebody else that's doing touch and goes all, all day, it is mighty annoying because you never know whether they're, <laughs> they're going to take off, land, do whatever. So they're constantly calling it, you know, touch and go, coming in, touch and go. It's like, oh, come on, are you going to land it? <laughs> oh, it's going to happen. So it is, I do find that annoying, but um, no, nah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the you, you talked about gliding. You've got a few gliders. I always say that South yep. Australia to me is the home of gliding. I, I think it's, it's because – Yeah, when I was younger, I used to always read about the gliders and is it a wakery or something out there where – yeah. They used, to, they used to have an event there. I can't, I can't remember what it was, but they used to fly gliders up there. Um, yep. But are you getting to what the scale, some of the aero tow events or, or what? I've, I've not done any events. I mean, we Dad's got uh, a third scale Super Cub with a, was a DLE 112 or something in it. And oh, it's a beautiful tug plane. And yeah, where we go up to my other club, yeah, there's just so much room and we've got a 2,000 foot ceiling so that's plenty for a glider well tapes i wouldn't be able to see the damn thing <laughs> when when you get a four meter glider above about you know 1500 feet you're really squinting to see what you're doing yeah but uh no it's just i've never really been it's funny i'm really competitive person outside of modeling but to me modeling is my i guess outlet so I've never been competitive in that side of it. I just love flying and everything related to it. I think competition's great. Like I'm a big fan oh, of yeah, competition. Don't, don't but get me wrong. I love it takes it takes different level of commitment. Yeah, in the hobby that is. It's that okay. Now I've got to travel somewhere and I've got to spend the weekend away doing something. You know, because that's mm-hmm. generally what ends up happening. And so that's your whole weekend. Instead of going for a good day out at the field and then Sunday doing something else, right? It's that that weekend, and then you've got to do that maybe five or six times a year, you know. And when you think about it, it could be more, and they have national championships and whatever. It might be eight weekends in a year that you're actually out for the whole weekend and can't do anything else. And you know, if you've got family and you know, yeah, when those kids are young and they've always got seem to have birthday parties on. <laughs> it was There's always something. My kids are a bit older now, and they don't. You know, the people don't have as many birthday parties at their age. But I remember when they were young, I used to crack it. I got into kite surfing, and I used to crack it with my wife, and just say to her, "That's it. I don't want to go to any more parties. I just want to go kite surfing. I keep on missing all these really good days for kite surfing, <laughs> windy days and whatever, because I have to go to a party somewhere. And I don't want to anymore. I like yeah. the wiggles, but I don't need to hear them, <laughs> them anymore. <laughs> but." <laughs> So anyway, okay. So so gliding is still something that you enjoy doing, or, or absolutely, yeah. I mean, the radian always gets put in the car or caravan or wherever we're going. If we're going somewhere, the radian is always with me because you can just chuck it and go. Such a good glider, isn't it? The radian. Oh, they're they're brilliant. I've I've got the the pro version with the flaps, but yeah, I had one of those and I sold it. You can just fly them anywhere, and yeah, they're they're brilliant, and it's just so relaxing. Yeah, I just, oh yeah, well, I've said it nine million times. I love gliding. 
I've got to get my I've got my F5J glider back, new fuselage after I cracked it, after I threw launched it into my head. Uh, and I've just got to put the receiver in, so that could probably take another three years before I get around to doing that. Knowing you can't rush perfection. Well, that's right. And and this one's got um you know, a, a removable nose. And so the guy's saying to me, oh, what you can do now is once you work out your CG position, you can actually cut cut the nose or cut, cut the fuselage or whatever so that um it, it will be, you know the cg will just perfectly kind of thing and i'm like oh does that mean i've got to cut something now i don't really want to no, cut something no. that's, that's against that's against my religion to start you know building something but anyway but uh oh well i do love it though i do love the gliders but always to me gliding is a summer sport yeah i just like it's winter at the moment i just can't bring myself to go on even worry about a glider. I'll get, you know, well, at, at the moment here in Victoria, it's pretty damn cold. There's actually, I'm looking out the window now. It's a Saturday as we record this and it's uh, dead calm. So there'll be no doubt there'll be people out in the field flying. The ground might be a little bit wet because we had a bit of rain. And tomorrow might be okay. I don't know. Should I go flying tomorrow? I don't know. I go I go to the club every Sunday. It's, it's like church. Tomorrow. Well, let's go talk about club. Right. What what clubs are you a member of? Uh, My primary club is No Longer Model Aerosports, NMAS. That was No Longer. Yes. Yep. We have the this the military and civil scale day every year that I think it was Ash Cox talked about when you interviewed him. Oh, good old Coxie. Yeah. He built my hundred cc extra. There's bigger things than that have flown there. (laughs) And where's your other club? Um, my other club is the South Hummocks Model Aero Club, which is about a just over a two-hour drive from my house. Um, but yeah, we, generally if I go up there, it's chuck the rooftop tent on the on the ute and take one of the kids with me and stay the night, so that it's a bit less of a waste of fuel. I mean, it, it's the same amount of fuel either way, but hey, you feel like if you stay overnight that it's made it worthwhile. That's true. Well, I'll tell you um, what, for the first time ever, with the way petrol prices are at the moment, I'm sitting there going, oh, do I really need to drive that far to go to that flying event if the weather's bad? <laughs> like, if it's going to be good, I'll turn up. But uh, now, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that's going to cost me 120 bucks to turn up. What else could I do with that 120 bucks? You know, it's just because yeah. the petrol prices are so high. It's still my head in. Oh, but you've got too many other hobbies. That's your problem. It is true. I am like... <laughs> I'm 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 very big into my table tennis at the moment. I, play, I played table tennis this morning for two hours with a coach, and then I, after this podcast, I'm going straight to play table tennis again. And have a hit with another friend. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm thinking about turning Chinese and playing table tennis. I think I'll play better because the Chinese play so well. But um, no, it takes away from the modelling though. It well it well, but most of my table tennis <laughs> is done after hours when it's dark. So yeah. So that's that's one thing, but then it's ski season at the moment, and my motorbike's sitting there. And I want to use that, and I bought a jet ski, so I want to go and use that. But maybe if too I too many hobbies. Well, I can combine hobbies like we've talked about: floating yeah. plane, jet ski, Lake Eildon, perfect. Yep. And the problem is that jet ski uses that much fuel. It's going to cost me a fortune to use it as well, thanks to the fuel cost. So I'm going to have to drive that slowly, and then I'll just park it and go on for a fly. I know that's it. I could tow the, I could tow the plane behind the jet ski, get to some nice spot, take off. Now I'm thinking that's an option outside the square. Not good option. It's an option, but not a good one. Okay, so now you remember these clubs, and uh, yep. I want to talk a little bit more about um, um, 
Well, okay, let's start by saying that you're on the committee for the for MASA. That's the South, a- uh, South Australian chapter yep. of the MAAA, correct? That's correct, yes. Do you have an official title? Uh, I'm the vice president. Ooh. Yeah. Vice Presidente. Now, I've spoken to your president, David Mifsud. Um, Mifsud, yep. Great guy, lovely guy. I've had a number of chats on the phone with him. Um. And that's how we met at the NAAA conference because I was invited to do a presentation on the survey, blah, 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 blah. That's right. Anyway, it was, and I was probably this highlight, wasn't I? At the, Absolutely. Um, there, see, there you go. Thank you. Uh, how long have you been involved with MASA? Uh, well, as we've already discussed, Neil Tank, he was the president of MASA for, I think it was about 20 years. Um, my dad was the treasurer for 10 years. Um, I've been in Massa for oh, probably 15 years on, on the committee, just representing my my club, one of the two clubs I've always been a member of. And I guess Massa to me, it, it's it's almost like the family business um, because my, my father-in-law and my, my dad have been involved with it so long. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's my turn to step up. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we discussed that I was very, very impressed with and something that oh, we're seeing more of them too, that mm-hmm. more people are doing this, and this is the good old come try day, all right? Yeah. Uh, I know that um, the, the new president, Mel Craig, up at the Chuka Club, he's just gone instigated a come try day. You're a legend, Mel. Absolutely not a legend. Uh, the IMAC um, community in Victoria was grown on the back of a come try day that Michael Andrusik put in place, right? Um, the Werribee Club down in Victoria are uh, running come try days with a goal to get 10 new members in 12 months. Now, you told me about a come try day that you put on at your club yep. in Olunga. Give us the lowdown of what you did, right? Just to give people right, well, a, a ammunition as to if they're thinking about running come try day, this is here, here's some learnings. Yeah, I mean, our biggest advantage i suppose is we have a lot of instructors um so we decided you either go hard or go home so we thought we'll go hard and we put a well we've got some roadside banners which we put out with a sort of a silhouette of father and son holding hands and planes and all of that just to sort of make it look more family orientated um we got a few flyers around hobby shops and, and local shops and stuff. But the key to the event was the Facebook advertising. Um, it was the, the same basically ad as the banner, but we put it on Facebook. We've gotten a Facebook page and a Facebook group and all of that. And then we paid, I think it was about 60 or $70 to, to get that out there. And we targeted our audience within a 20 or 30K radius males between sort of 30 to 50 but it was still broadcast to everyone and on the day problem is you you put all this stuff out there and you don't know what you're going to get um so we lined up we had 10 instructors with five models and the instructors paired up so while one was starting the plane because it's a lot easier to run nitro planes than electrics because you don't have to have so many batteries charging and swapping over. You can just fuel up and go. Um, so we ran in pairs. While one was fueling up and starting, the other one is showing the student, right, 
this is what controls we're going to use. This is the commands you're going to hear. Um, we had sim, well, I think there were six simulators set up. So the people would rock up, sign a, I guess, visitor's book or an attendance sheet type thing, go over, someone would show them the basics on the simulator and they'd get a, a raffle ticket. And then uh, we're just calling them out, basically calling the raffle ticket numbers out one after the other. When it was your turn, you come out, you, you sort of get a, a bit of a brief because every instructor uses a different term for banking your wings or rolling or turning or whatever. So you give them a quick brief on the terms you're going to use and what, what they're going to hear. And you take them out and you have a flight. And yeah, we started at 10 a.m. We finished at about 3 p.m. And we managed to fly 74 people on the day. Okay, so some of the metrics, all right? You put some banners yep. out. There was probably a little bit of cost in getting some banners made up and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. all right? You then spent $70 on the Facebook ad targeting your local area. So the ad yep. gets shown to the local area. And you got how many people? 70... 74 we flew. 74 people. Now, you did tell me, though, that those 74 people, they start, hung around and you sold them food? Yeah, yeah. We had a barbecue and the chips and... All of that sort of stuff. And so, so did you make money? You make out of that? a little you make a little bit of money out of the barbecue and the chips. I mean yeah, I mean it's not enough that hey, you don't have to pay your club fees next year, but you no, know, you, you make a little bit did of it, money. Did it cover the expenses, the advertising expenses? Uh yeah, probably would have. I it, it would have covered the Facebook side of things for sure. Um, but because we run these we we run a come and try day now every uh, twice twice a year um so we've had banners made up that we can just uh, a couple of our members have got vinyl cutters we can just take the date off whack a new date on the banners are back out so that's a sort of a the the initial cost was a couple hundred bucks but we're getting a fair bit of use out of it and now how many people after the come try day came back uh i think we've got three signed up and there's a couple more that are still sort of sitting in the wings, so to speak. But when when you look at that particular club, the, the fees are over two hundred bucks for the club fee, and that's six hundred bucks just for one year. If those three members stay members for five or six, that's a lot of money we've made out of a coming well, Friday. We saw in the numbers in the NAAA survey how sticky people are to the hobby. Mm -hmm. That most of the respondents have been flying for oh many years, like mm -hmm. you know twenty plus. That there's this definite stickiness. So those people that got involved, um, yeah, they, they're likely to hang around. But getting three mm. members, that's big. People sit there and go, oh, we had seventy something people. Well, what are you trying to do? Convert the world? It's not going to happen because yeah, no, it's not an right. easy thing to get involved in because there's an expense, right? So you have got to be willing to spend the money and you got to be willing to commit the time and you got to go through a learning phase. Right? It's not like mm. um, an RC car. You go down to the shop, put some batteries in it, and then you can do it straight away. Within two minutes, you're a master at it, unless you want yep. to go racing, which is a different kettle of fish. But, but um, you know, it does take um, a bit of a commitment. So to, to get three out of the 74 is probably good odds. Now, like I said, the yeah, club in Werribee, they're trying to get just 10 members in a year, and they're running monthly come try days. Yeah. The, the problem is uh, out of that 74, there was a lot of, very young kids in that that it, it's almost a waste of time flying them but 
Mum and dad didn't necessarily want to have a go, but they saw how much fun the kid had just throwing the sticks around and really pulling our hair out. But they saw how much fun the kids had. And a couple of them said, oh, can I come back another day and have a go? So, yeah, we, we handed out some. I mean, anyone can come to our club at any time and, and have a trial flight. We've got a couple of club trainers and and any member that's at the club with a trainer will we'll be happy to give someone a flight. But we, we gave out some vouchers to make it look sort of more official and, you know, a voucher for a free test flight and all of that sort of thing. So we will get some more come. And we did get an email, uh, it was only a few weeks ago, from one of the mothers that attended. And she asked whether we would be happy to have five or six 10-year-old boys come down for as a part of a birthday party. Yeah. And, and do a little mini come try and hell yeah. yeah and we've also got a uh, the local men's shed in about a week or two's time they're coming down with about 10 people to, to have their own mini come See, and try this is, so, all you, this is all you need you just need to get people into the field in whatever absolutely. way shape or form whether it's a men's shed or something it's just you know I'm getting tired of the community sitting there saying, oh, we need to get more people and oh, we need to get young kids and all this kind of stuff. And they're just talking. It's just talk. Mm-hmm. We need to come try days. I've, I've, I, years ago, I was spooking this idea of a holiday school holiday programs, right? that there's yep. kids sitting there and parents want to get their kids away from the computers and they need to have an option. And guess what? If my, son, if, if my son's friend rings up and says, hey, I'm going to this come try day this at this um model flying club. Um, little Johnny's coming. Do you want to come as well? My son is going to say hell yeah, all right, because yep. his mates are going right, and so it breeds. And we've got a great set of retirees that are willing and capable, generally, maybe not willing, but they're capable of administering <laughs> the day. You charge the people to turn up. Charge them twenty bucks, whatever you need to charge them. You charge because they'll pay because the parents are willing to pay for their kids to spend the day away from them whilst they're on school holidays. All right, absolutely. And and it might stick, and a few of them might go, oh yeah. And what we know through experience and talking to other parents you know i had i had the lovely sonia ritter on here talking about her son and she said that one of the things that was critical is having another bunch of kids that are around that other person so they have their own little network rather than them hanging around with 75 year olds because if they want to go and hang out with their grandpa they'll go to their grandpa's house right Mm -hmm. and so you get a, a bunch of kids together it's just it's just like i i was so impressed that what you had achieved and and it was all that stuff that oh, I spruik all the time, which is Facebook ads. That's all I need to do is run Facebook ads. And you know why Facebook ads, ladies and gentlemen? Because it's the most cost-effective form of advertising in the world that allows you to target to a demographic. We know what our demographic looks like. Just go and spend the money. For anybody that's running an event, and especially if it's a display day, and you want to get people there because guess what? We're going to show people the hobby, right? Yeah. So go and spend some money on a Facebook ad, especially if you're out in the country. Country people are looking for stuff to do. Like Brett did, you get into Facebook and you sit there and you say, let's go and show this ad to people within a 20K radius, right? That's all you need to do and it, and it focuses your money. And if you don't know how to do it, get in contact with me. Get in contact with me. Get onto the Flat Out RC website, send me a message, get on the Facebook page, send me a message, get on the Instagram page, send me a message and I'll help you. And while you're there, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. And um, if you want to send me money, we will take donations as well. Thank you, Brett, for supporting Flat Out RC. 
Anyway, no, so yeah. so well done. Um, what would you do differently? Is there anything that you'd do differently or any tips you'd give anybody running a come try to, to things to be mindful of? Um, I, I think we did very well. Um, one thing we did do sort of around the lunchtime, got someone out with a you know, fast, noisy plane and uh, do a bit of a, a bit of an aerobatics demo to show off, you know, it's not just all trainers. Um you know, there is a fun side. But, uh, yeah, I, I heard you, uh, I was listening to a podcast you did with Alexis Scott the other day and a couple of things that he mentioned, and that really has given me some more ideas for some of our other events that we have to not just show off our, you know, military and scale models, but show off the fun side. We used to have com uh, combat with these little gremlin things, but that sort of died off over the years and, and with, risk assessments and all of that that you've got to do these days. Combat does get a bit grey at times. Yeah, reckon. But, uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to my mate. I'm going to talk to my mate. We've got a couple. We both got Tundras. And I'm thinking of doing like the, the stole drag racing. <laughs> yeah. That as was... a demo. And ham it up a bit for the crowd. But, you know, just show that it's more than just flying circuits and doing the occasional loop and roll. It's a spectator sport. This stole. Did you? Mm. Have you been on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and saw the uh, the stole event that I did a video out down at my local club at Pakenham down here? Yep. They ran sort of the first stole comp, and it was awesome fun. It was literally mm. we were all you know the the spectators could watch and and get engaged in it as well and be cheering people on and that kind of stuff. Um, you'd do really well thanks to all the touch and goes. That's where I thought I just did go out there and do touch and goes with my FMS cub. Which I've got to put floats on and take take away at Christmas time, but um, but yeah, yeah, that's a you know things like that. After that stole event, everybody wants to go and buy more stole planes. It keeps yeah. people, like I said, that motivation. You know, that's why I questioned you on it because sometimes I find that you know my motivation levels at the moment to go flying is probably not as big as my motivation is to keep this podcast going and to produce some marketing content. Mm -hmm. Um, even though you know I love flying and that kind of stuff, but it's just an effort to go there when I've got so many other things on my plate and other things that I want to do as well. doesn't mean I don't like the hobby. It just means that I practice it in different ways. But, um, but yeah, I, I really applaud you for the, the effort that you've made with that come try day. And I think that more clubs need to do it and, you know, reach out to people like Brett, if you want some guidance as to how to do it. Absolutely. Um, it's not overly complex, but um that is that is all well and good. So you're going to continue to run those come try days. Yeah, absolutely. We get another one coming up, sort of, I think around the September mark. Um, sort of just we're going to use that to to help advertise the military day, military and civil day in November. And um, we're going to try and get one early in the new year after that military and civil scale day, so that. We can promote it at the day so that, hey, you know, you like the planes, come and have a go. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. That's good. Now, um, what do you see is the biggest issue in uh, in the hobby at the moment? The fact that I don't have enough money to buy more planes? Um, no. That's, <laughs> but look, that's your issue, not the hobby's issue. <laughs> well, no, it, it is an issue because I'm not supporting the hobby when I'm not spending money on it. Um, no, I, we're always I spending the declining, money. Yeah, the <laughs> declining membership is well, probably the biggest issue, I suppose. Um, we're trying to counter it. 
we're doing what we can. But the and I, I get worried at times that we have reached a saturation point. Um, we might not be able to get more members. You can't get people to join that aren't interested. Um, so our, our biggest, I guess, challenge is keeping the hobby interesting, affordable. Not as affordable as it was a few years ago, but it's still an affordable hobby to get into. Um, but yeah, it, it's a matter of getting getting new members and and keeping the older members. Some some guys get bored and sort of drift off, but like you said, most are fairly sticky and hang around. But we find that like they they keep on paying their membership fees and all that kind of stuff. Even some people don't fly a lot, you know. Like if I think about how much it costs me to go flying every time I go because I don't fly as often as I'd like to, it starts to add up. But um, I do that willingly, unfortunately. I'm in a position where I can afford to do it, of course, But um, like most of us. But um, it's interesting you said something that was so simple, yet but yet so remarkable, and that was that, you know, we can't force people to come and fly model aeroplanes. You know, they have to want to come and do it. And that's what I always say is that, you know, you've got to put it in front of a lot of people and it will find, it will resonate with certain people and it won't resonate with others. Some people talk as yeah. if, you know, everybody should be getting involved in this kind of thing. Well, guess what? That's what the local croquet club says as well. Right? Yeah. And the local lawn bowls club and the local cricket club and the local footy club and the golf club because every club across Australia has declining participation. There's not many that are, that are increasing. Everybody, because there's so much choice now, plus we have something called the internet, which is changing the psyche of society in a kind of way that my kids are growing up yeah. in a different era to me uh, where they can stay home, they can connect with their friends without leaving home. I'm not saying this is good. This is just literally what happens. I, well, I'm very happy that my daughter, I just dropped her off to, to, have, to go to a cafe with a friend. Right? That's what they do nowadays. She's That's almost it. 13 and they go and have... They don't not going to have coffee or anything, but they go to catch up because they want to get out, you know. Um, but they're not looking at travelling to go miles away to go and do something. They don't need to anymore because, you know, if they want to catch up with each other, they can press a button and see each other and have group chats and all this, which is, okay, we can argue the toss of it's good, bad or indifferent. The fact is it's reality, people. That's, That's it. it it's life, whether we like it or not. It's life. And like you said, we can't force everyone to fly, but you need to put it out in front of the people that might be interested. And and from sitting back, we don't know who those people are. So you've got to put it in front of as many people as you can. Well, I'm going to put, not put you on the spot, but everyone knows my thoughts on this matter and that the um, associations aren't doing enough in that regard. There's a lot of talk about it. And um, I left the AGM pretty frustrated at, at attitudes of certain people and thinking that, here are a bunch of people that are voted in to represent the hobby that still do not make a near enough effort to either think about how to um, what to do to promote the hobby to get new uh, new participants or put any action in place. Yeah, so, so what, what Massa is now going to do, um, we, we've set aside money for, I guess, marketing, but it's not so much for marketing Massa, it's for marketing the clubs. Because marketing Massa is almost a waste of time because it's a state association that, yes, you join, but you join through your local club. So we're suggesting that the clubs put on come and try days and we'll, we will come up with a, a dollar figure and say, right, whatever you spend on advertising, we'll match it dollar for dollar. 
So if you want to spend $70 on Facebook advertising, we'll give you another $70 and you can absolutely slam it home. That's a really... Brett, that's a, a, people listen to that. Did you hear that? If you're involved and in the I state association, I, just match I can't it. take credit for that. That that's David uh, David Mifsud's plan. Excellent. Um, He's a good. But guy. I'm in full support of David on that one. That's for sure. Well, that is an excellent scheme. You know, we see people. You know, the the remember what I always say is that people in South Australia didn't choose to join Massa. You had to because you went through the front gate of a club that's MAAA affiliated and the way to get MAAA um, membership is via Massa, etc. currently, right? That may change. That will change at some point in the future, no doubt. Uh, but but that's how it works. And so hmm. we, it's like me in Victoria. I didn't choose to join the VMAA and the MAAA. I had to if I wanted to go and fly at that place. There's not any other place I can go and fly without doing that. And so, you know, instead of giving people loans to go and buy mowers, like they need members. If they have more members, they can pay for the mower. So you're better off supporting their act, their pub promotional activity and incentivizing them to go and run come try days so that they can get more members. Massa will get more members as a result. The MAAA will get some more money. We can just keep on feeding the beast. No, that's what we need to do. It keeps the wheel turning. And, and a lot of those clubs out there that think that the MAAA ecosystem doesn't do much for them, have you asked for anything? If you ask, That's... you might just get. If you go, approach a lot of these people with a reasonable idea, they can't say yes to everything, harebrained ideas, they've got criteria you know, to make decisions around, they might just support you financially, but especially if it's around promoting the hobby, you know, getting new, new blood into it. So anyway, well done. Now let's get back to some model playing kind of stuff. Are you building anything at the moment or are you too busy? Uh, I've got the two ultra sticks on the bench. Yeah. Um, why two? I've got, well, I've got the, the 30cc and the, the 10cc. Okay, yeah. Um, they're still on the bench at this stage. Um, I've got my unicorn. It is a Great Plains third scale pit special. And it has been on the bench for, I think, 15 years. <laughs> it's a unicorn. I've told everyone about it, but no one's seen it. That's my one day project, I think. I mean, a couple of people said, why don't you just sell it? No. And it's like, well, for starters, it, it's not really worth anything now. I mean, I, I bought it back. Well, they were just discontinuing it at the time. And, and back then I had to bring it in from America and it cost me about six or 700 bucks, which back then was a fair bit of money. But uh, I, it's still sitting in the shed and it's a, it's a one day I'll get there. Like you, once, once I retire and I've got more time. Well, yeah. I told my, as I when I dropped my daughter off to with her friend, I said to her, I said, "Oh, look, there's another townhouse, set of townhouses going up a couple of doors up from that where we live." And I said, "Oh, this whole street's going to be townhouses." I said, "Emily, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and buy a one bedroom apartment, and that can be my office. And then once you finish school, I'm going to sell this house, and I'm going to go and move to the country. And when I move to the country, I'm going to have, of course, my own strip, and I'm going to have a shed where I can build stuff and whatever." And then I'll keep the one bedroom place. And if I want to come back to the big smoke, I'll go and stay there overnight and whatever, I've got a place to stay. Said, Why would you ever want to move back to the big smoke? Oh, seriously. I'd rather be living in the country. My kids are going to school, though. I don't want to upset all that kind of thing. But I would. I have a house in the country. I'd sell that, sell my house, and buy a big block where I've got my own room. I'm telling everybody my plans. Who wants to invest? Send me a message. <laughs> Send me I, I live on I live on some property here, but the problem is I'm about seven hundred meters from the old Denga Aerodrome. 
so that limits me to to flying from here. Oh, just even get a but I, but I get to watch planes flying around all day, every day. It's brilliant. Yeah, and you're out looking after the vines, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. Before I met you in Sydney, I had never ever listened to a podcast in my life. Yeah, tell them how many you listen to now. I'm up to. So I'm about to start episode sixty-eight. Gee. So when I'm out in the vines pruning <laughs> away, when it's freezing cold, got my headphones in, listening to you. And yeah, I've I've gone through sixty-seven episodes. And this is going to be a hundred ninth episode. This one is. So yeah, you know, you, you, that that's a lot because it was only what a couple of months ago, about, yeah. about a month and a half or something. So you've really been powering it. You get it. I'm going to give you a a, a sticker, a gold sticker <laughs> for being a champion. Listener to the Flat Out RC podcast. The numbers are actually doing okay. You know, I don't check them very regularly, but now and again, I just check to make sure that at least one person's listening. And um, well, by, by the end of the year, I should have caught up. <laughs> yeah, no, you'll catch up. You'll catch up. Uh, so we'll see. We'll just keep it. We'll, I'll keep on going as much as I can for you. I've got. I've got a plan though. I've got. A, I've got a plan in mind with the podcast and a few other things. But anyway, I'm still thinking about that. Um, okay. I think we're up to that famous last question. Uh, which famous last question? Do you, well, look, you you've been listening to a lot of these podcasts. What's that last question that I always like to ask? What has been my favourite model of all time? You're a good listener. You've been listening to the end. And what is your favourite model of all time? Uh, for the same reason as a lot of people, sort of a sentimental attachment, I suppose, it would have to be my, my Raptor 30. A um, helicopter? You win. Yep. You're helicopter. the first person to mention a helicopter. Because it, it's what I learnt to fly helicopters on. It's what I then won the Nationals with. I put floats on it and flew it off the water. <laughs> I've sort of, I did, I've done everything with that helicopter and it, it taught me so much. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of nice models and there's been a lot that, um, <laughs> most of the ones that I really enjoyed have been my dad's models. Um, he had a, a Cap 21, a 60-size Cap 21. Oh, they're cool. I love Caps because when I was in the kit of the 80s and the Cap 21s were around and the Super Chipmunks and the Cathlons. Yeah. Were, oh. I, I had a Super Chipmunk. Oh. It was only a small one. Was it the Carl Goldberg kit one? No, it was a CM Pro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and Dad had a, a quarter-scale Baby Ace. That was a... Corbin Baby Ace, I, and he crashed it on floats. It's still sitting in his shed, and that is my retirement project to rebuild this Corbin Baby Ace because it's just different. It's scale and it's different. But, uh, yeah, the, the Raptor would be my all-time favourite. Well, there you go. The good old Raptor. I really are. Bit out of left field. Yeah, I want to get up flying helis again. After last night's sim session, I thought I've got to get. I've got. I've got one. I've got four of them sitting here, so no excuses, and they're all flyable. I've I've recently acquired another and uh, not what, what's that again. There was a bit of a low in the uh, audio. Uh, I I got a Synergy M5 recently. Oh, they're nice. And I've set everything up by the governor and it's just confusing me because I haven't played with Ellie's for so long. Yeah. And it's got, I, I've never played, I played once with a fly bar, fly barless Ellie and it didn't end well. 
something let go and it just did a little flipping into the mother earth but yeah i, I got this heli and i really want to get back into trying trying to fly them again and just so that it's something like something else i've got but yeah i can't work this governor side of the v-bar thing out i've got a governor issue with one of my planes i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna take it to some guy that knows hells and go fix it here you go <laughs> do not know but i've got this other one that i got given to me another t-rex 550 so i've got two of them I've got a T-Rex 450 flybard, which that I can fly that and still got wooden blades. I should get that up. That's all you need. Yeah. They're actually, they fly well. I don't mind them. I don't mind them at all. Mm. They're not good on the batteries. Are they puff packs really quickly? Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's the only downside of it. But uh, Well, Brett, it's been a pleasure having a chat with you. It was good to catch up with you uh, when we're in Sydney. But um, And uh, I really love your enthusiasm for the hobby, especially since you've been going for so long. And and also now your involvement in, in you know, the association and the work that you do for that. So um, well done and thank you for joining. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, anything we can do to get the hobby out there has got to be a good thing. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Brett Oakley for joining me. Really enjoyed that chat. I, look, I, I enjoy all these chats with aero modelers. And I hope you are as well. Uh, always encourage you, if there's anything you'd like me to cover in these podcasts, any questions that you may have, then uh, jump online. You can get online to the flatoutrc.com.au website and send me a message. Get onto Facebook, the Flat Out RC Facebook page or the Instagram page, uh, and send me a message. And don't forget, we have the YouTube channel as well. Subscribe to everything. Get on board with the Flat Out RC movement. I, I think last week I mentioned that I'm, I'm contemplating something else. I'm still contemplating something else that I might be able to add to this little content creation exercise that I do because I enjoy doing it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, thanks for joining me once again. I'll be back next week. I do have another guest lined up, so that means I will be back next week. But thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying it. Don't forget to subscribe if you are and tell your mates all about the Flat Out RC podcast so we can spread the word across the world. So, talk to you then. See Eyes on the freeway, Bonnie and Clyde. A classic cliche, we're on the run. This is what we waited for.